So great to see so many of you here this morning. We're going to be continuing our series on the book of Malachi. So if you want to just turn that up on your Bibles or your phones, the book of Malachi, we're going to look at chapter 3, verses 6 to 12 this morning. We're going to look at God speaking about his generosity. John Wesley said that the last part of a man to be converted is his wallet. Martin Luther said every man needs two conversions, first his heart and second his wallet. There's a theme there and this morning as we look at our passage from Malachi, one of the areas that we're going to be looking at is our money. Now I don't know where you stand this morning, uh, but I do know that the subject of money is a sensitive one. It can be divisive. It can be something that we struggle with. And how we use it is very often an indication of how we trust God in our lives. Before we start, I've got some book recommendations because I'm all about the reading side of stuff. So some books that I found really helpful looking at this subject. Um, One is, um, let's put it up there, a rather old school looking book um, called Tithing by R.T. Kendall, which I found really useful and I've touched on a couple of bits um, from the book. So if you want to kind of look at things in depth a bit more, I uh, encourage you to look at that one. Another great book is uh, Phil Moore. Uh, This is called Gagging Jesus. And Phil Moore in this book explores sensitive topics and looks at what did Jesus really say about these things. We can often think we know what Jesus said about things. And actually, he challenges us to look at Jesus' own words. Another book that we're doing with our youth at the moment, our older youth, is called Gods at War by Kyle Eidelman. Um, This book is all about the subject of idolatry and the place that idols have in our lives. Um, And we're being really blessed in our older youth group uh, with this book at the moment. And I've taken some ideas from his um, his chapter on the God of money from there. And last but not least, I've got to recommend uh, The Don... Um, John Groves' book on foundations. Now, I saw a slide up earlier about um, plugging the foundations uh, course for those of you interested in becoming part of the church. I would suggest even if you are just visiting or even if you are a member of the church, actually, this is a fantastic read. John goes through areas of church life, and I've shamelessly cribbed lots of material from John's book as well. I found it really, really helpful. So John's foundation book is a must Now, I've been very blessed by this series on Malachi, and I don't know about you, but when I sit in the preachers, I often look at the the kind of the PowerPoint slides that uh, John Athill has made, and I've really enjoyed looking at this Hear My Voice logo, um, because it links to that HMV logo. Now, I don't know how many of you know the story behind the HMV painting, but the painter actually inherited um, uh, this dog, Nipper, from his dead brother. He also inherited a kind of a phonograph and some records. And he noticed that when he put on a record that actually had a soundtrack of his brother speaking, the dog Nipper kind of went up to the, um, the, the gramophone and listened attently. And so he painted that, and he called the painting His Master's Voice. And this whole series is about us hearing the voice of God. Are we listening to what our gracious and amazing God is saying? So this morning, before um, I talk, I just want to pray. Um, we, we want to invite Jesus to come and speak to us, and I want to pray for each one of us that we hear the Lord's voice speaking to our hearts this morning. So let's just give ourselves to him. Lord, we just want to pray from the very start that we would hear the voice of God this morning. Lord, it is you that we want to hear. Lord, I pray that you would lift the words that I speak Lord, you'd lift the scriptures that we look at, and Lord, you would make them fresh in people's hearts this morning. Lord, speak to us where we need to hear from you. Lord, bring us correction where we need to be corrected. 
Lord, bring us encouragement where we need to be encouraged. Lord, bring us hope and faith where we need that. Lord, we want to hear our master's voice this morning. In Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And some of you might find that this morning, as we look at the subject of money, actually this begins to touch a nerve. And it might be that as I'm speaking, God is actually speaking to you about this area of money. So I want you to ask yourself as we go through this, Lord, are you speaking to me about this? Are you speaking to me about that? Where is your treasure? Where is my treasure? Because Jesus says that's where our heart will be also. So what does the Bible actually say about money? What does the Bible teach Jesus followers about what we do with the money that we're blessed with? Is it all ours to do with as we wish? How do we handle it correctly and wisely? Let's turn to the passage in Malachi. Now, as I was looking at this passage... um, John mentioned it, sort of God's people are often sounding a bit like a sulky teenager in response to God. And as I was reading this kind of dialogue between God and his people, it reminded me about the, of those kind of, I don't know if you had them, I'm sure you haven't, these slightly tetchy text messages you sometimes have with people where you're kind of, you fire off something to someone and then it come, you know, the re, this rather short reply comes, comes back and then you're, you're kind of having this text conversation. So I thought I would just change the passage so it looks like um, a little kind of text conversation between God and his people. So let's look at the passage. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed. See, God got in there before they could reply. (laughs) For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. So this morning, I want to look at these areas in my talk. Firstly, just look quickly at the dangers of money. Secondly, look at what the problem was, and specifically robbing God. Then what the change needed was, return to me. Then the solution, giving of tithes and offerings. And then the blessing, test me. So, the dangers of money. So as we've seen in this series in Malachi, there's this toing and froing between God and his people. It sounds a little bit like a disgruntled argument that they're having with the Lord. They're grumbling because they've lost sight of the generosity and the grace of God. In fact, they almost think that God owes them. It seems that there's a bit of a disconnect here. God is telling his people that they have robbed him. And the people disagree. They say to him, how have we robbed you? And the Lord spells it out clearly. Their hearts are far from him. They're demonstrating it here through the fact that their tithes and offerings are being neglected. Money can easily get between us and God. It seems a little bit ironic that I'm talking on the subject of money, 
Because actually in our marriage, Kate is the saver and I'm the spender. I brought a lot of debt into our marriage. Um, as a student, I spent all my student loan quite happily. And actually, I, I used to see my overdraft as if I had a £200 limit, I still have £200 to spend. And actually, Kate, who'd kind of been taught how to use money very wisely by her father, um, had actually had to kind of amalgamate my debts into our marriage. But that's, that's her privilege, really. Um, <laughs> Kate has taught me how to budget. I've taught Kate how to actually drink something other than water when we go out to the restaurant. How to, how to actually tip people and, and not just not give anything. Um, although Kate does still, if I've got cash in my pocket, if it jangles, she does kind of go, where did you get that from? Because carrying cash is something that really is dangerous. Money in itself is a neutral thing. Actually, the Bible says that it is the love of money that actually is the root of all kinds of evil. And actually, it can lead us astray. It can lead us away from God if we're not careful. It's not good or bad in or of itself. Jesus warns us too, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Money can be a great blessing. We can use it for good, can't we? We can support the local church. We can support other organizations. We can give to those around us who are in need. However, it also holds great potential to lead us away from God. It can preoccupy us. It can enslave us. It can actually cause us to become self-reliant rather than relying on God for our daily bread. And it can distract us too. There's a story in, in Mark 10 where Jesus meets a rich young ruler. And Jesus has a dialogue with this man who obviously wants to follow the Lord, um, but at the end, Jesus encourages him to sell what he has. And actually, the Bible says that the man went away sad because he had great wealth. So this young man actually encountered the living Jesus, yet still preferred his money rather than giving that up to follow God. Jesus talks a lot about money, and we've looked at this in the series. I remember Steve Lee picked it up in one of his talks as well. Of the 38 parables that Jesus speaks, um, tells, 16 of them deal with the subject of money. Jesus seems to make it clear that the God of money is often God's greatest competition for our hearts. So have we heard what Jesus really has got to say about money? Phil Moore says this in his book. The bound and gagged Jesus, so the Jesus we think about, promises you prosperity. He behaves at dinner parties and sympathizes with your concern about house prices, interest rates, and the rising cost of fuel. He's far too polite to mention money. But the real Jesus isn't. He spoke more about money than about heaven and hell combined. He tells us that how we spend our money is the truest gauge of what we really think of his teaching. He tells us that the clearest statement of faith is a person's bank statement. So what does yours look like? How the people in this passage spent their money really showed where their true hearts were. We can pay lip service too to the idea that money isn't really that important, but actually, how we spend our money and how we use our time often indicates another story. The author Mark Twain, who's often known for his kind of witty quips, said this, Some men worship rank, others worship heroes, some worship power, some worship God, and over these ideals, they dispute and cannot unite, but they all worship money. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he indicates that money can become a bit of a master to us. He says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one 
and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So let's look at the problem in this passage, robbing God. God's words here are quite shocking, aren't they? Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? It seems ridiculous, doesn't it? How can we rob God? Now, God is the Lord of all, isn't he? Jesus wants to be the Lord of our entire lives. We rob our generous God when we don't give him what we owe him. As we've already picked up in the worship this morning, we owe him every breath. We owe him our health. We owe him our lives. We owe him our trust, our love, our service, our obedience. Not because we have to, but because we get to, because our God is so generous. We owe him because he bought us back. He gave his precious son to redeem us. The Bible says you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Actually, rather than something that weighs heavy on us, that should actually bring freedom and liberty, that we are given worth. We're given, um, we're given you know, that, that amazing place that we were bought back by God's precious son. So, this morning, are we robbing God in those areas? In this text, though, Malachi is looking particularly at the context of robbing God in terms of money. Now, the tithe was the first 10%, or that sort of the first fruits, financially and agriculturally, of God's people. You might be familiar with seeing tithe barns as you kind of drive around the area, and those would be areas where the farmers would be collecting a certain proportion of their crops. Under the law of Moses, that tithe was to be collected. Um, the book of Leviticus says the tithe is the Lord's. In fact, under the law, there was an elaborate tithing system, and some people have reckoned that actually these Jews gave up to about 23.5% of their income. However, God's people here have lost the perspective that they can use their money to bless the generous God that they, have, they follow. They see him as stingy. They see the money they own as theirs. When we approach money from the perspective that it belongs to us, it just doesn't work. The key to keeping money in its rightful place is to remember that first it all belongs to God. Whatever we have is on loan from him. He has greatly and richly blessed us. And by sowing our money back as an offering of thanks to him, we get the privilege of being able to worship him through our money. So it's all his anyway. Solomon reminds us this in the book of Ecclesiastes. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. As everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. And Psalm 24 says this simply, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. When we keep that perspective, we understand our dependence on him and we worship him as our generous provider. How do we know that God is generous though? Well, in Romans, it says this, He who did not spare his only son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? God's heart is a generous heart. God's heart is to bless his people. So let's look at the change that was needed in God's people, and maybe the change that God is talking to us this morning in terms of our hearts. I want to think about it in terms of returning to God. Now, God calls his people to return to me, and I will return to you. God then, as now, is constantly working to restore, maintain, and strengthen his relationship with his people. 
And he's constantly calling on his people to return to him and maintain and strengthen their relationship with him. How shall we return, though, says God's people? Is that a genuine question? Or is it that's kind of the response of that sulky teenager that Grover mentioned a few weeks ago? Now, in the light of the rest of Malachi, I think it's the sulky teenager side. I think they're sort of saying, we've got no idea what we've done wrong. I don't really know what I need to do to put it right. In fact, I I don't think I've really done anything wrong. God's people are his people. What we own, what we have achieved, can so easily become for us our source of identity, rather than knowing our true identity in Christ. Now, I think the people here had forgotten they were God's precious people, that they were God's chosen people, and actually he wanted them to live lives of love in response to that. God's people in Malachi got into that mindset of thinking they owned all that they had, whereas in fact they were God's stewards. They needed a change of heart. Tithes and offerings were the way in which they should have been providing financial support for the Levites, the priests, and the temple, and for the poor and the needy in the community. Now, looking through the Old Testament, I'm blown away at how God is so generous and how the Lord always wants to make provision for the poor and the needy. There are instructions that um, farmers shouldn't kind of crop their fields right to the very edges, but they should leave little bits for the poor and the needy in the community. There are provisions for the stranger and the alien. And actually, through the Old Testament, God's heart of generosity can be seen all the way through the laws of Moses. There's no secular and holy division in life. I'd like us to see that actually God wants us to use all that we have to glorify him. He wants all of our lives. There's no area which is off limits to God, and that includes our money. We're to be faithful stewards of what he blesses us with. But how much should we have before God's interested in our money? Some of you guys in youth might be thinking, well, I kind of do a Saturday job, but that money's mine, isn't it? Um, You know, I only own 10 quid a week. Um, Some of you might be on a very low income. Some of you might not have much money. How much becomes God's concern? Well, Jesus says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. If you remember that story where the, the, the woman brings her kind of two little coins into the temple and puts that into the offering, actually God sees the heart of that lady. She hasn't given much. But the Lord is interested in our hearts more than how much we're actually giving. We must be faithful with what God has entrusted us with. So if you're a student here, actually, God has entrusted you. Um, you might have a student loan. Now, I, I wouldn't see that as necessary income. So would you necessarily be tithing that? I, I wouldn't say so. But actually... With the money that you've got, actually, even I remember back to my student days thinking, okay, Lord, how can I serve the church? What can I bless the church with? Some of you who are are, um, kind of in youth group, I want you to be starting to go, God, how do you want me to serve you? And how can I show my, my kind of thanks to you through the way I use my money? Our generous God has given us the use of these resources for our time here on earth. And how we've got lots to be grateful for. Now we've just been, as Kate mentioned um, when she brought that contribution, we've just been up to Snowdonia. Um, and we stayed in a um, beautiful, beautiful part of um, the country. And we were, we were blessed by being able to stay in my cousin's cottage, which is right kind of near the foot of Snowdon. Um, and it, it was called Bryn Gwynt. 
Steve, can I test your Welsh? Bryn Gwynt, any idea? No, Windy Hill. It's called Windy Hill. So it was a, it was a rather windy place, and, um, but it was an amazing cottage. It was snugly and warm. It had a wood-burning stove in it, and it wasn't far from um, Mount Snowdon. However, it reminded me, as I was preparing for this preach, of an illustration that Carl Eidelman uses in his book to illustrate this kind of idea of generosity and being thankful to God. He says this, Imagine you haven't been on holiday for a number of years. Finances are tight, and it looks as if this year will be another staycation. But one day you get an email from an uncle that happens to have a beach house. He tells you you're welcome to stay in his beach house for a week. He turns over the key to you and says it's yours for the whole week. Now, let's imagine you get to that beach house, and you walk in and you turn on the light, but the light bulb is burned out. You walk into the kitchen, and there are no drinks in the fridge. At night, the pillow is lumpy. And the beach isn't as close to the house as the picture had made it seem. And so you fire off an email to this uncle, laying out everything that is wrong and demanding to know what he's going to do to make it right. In real life, you would never respond in that way. For the week you're at the beach house, you are constantly aware of and grateful for the generosity of your uncle. If we think we own all we have then we will naturally be reluctant to part with it. If we think God owns all we have, then we're free to give it away on his behalf. And ironically, we'll value what we do keep because it's a personal gift from our generous, gracious God. Being God's steward to keep or to give away is an immense privilege. Are we stewards or are we possessed by our possessions? Kyle Aldman goes on to say in his book, next time, You go to work. Go through your day sometime just recognizing that everything is God's. Get out of God's bed and walk into God's bathroom and turn on God's shower and then put on God's clothes, eat God's cereal and drink God's coffee. Get in God's car, or probably more likely God's bike, and head to work. When we start to see all our resources as God's, it helps us develop an attitude of gratitude that leads to a heart of worship. Let's go on to the next point. So what was the solution? The giving of tithes and offerings. Now, let's just have a quick temperature check because how you might be responding to this talk might indicate already how you value your money. Is your wallet having a little kind of palpitations in your pocket? Um, Are you starting to kind of get the sweats or actually are you kind of in sync with how how we're going? So through looking at what the Bible says, I hope that we will actually begin to see that giving and through tithing um, and through offerings, rather than being an outdated concept, actually is thrilling rather than threatening. Now, when I was preparing for this, I was thinking back to um, when, I was, when I was a kid watching Live Aid. And uh, I'm sure lots of you will remember that, that video of Bob Geldof um, live on television, kind of saying, we, we want the money. Um, I can't do an Irish accent, but he, he was really hammering home. Um, in fact, you, you know, rather forcefully, and I won't go to actually say what he said, but he rather forcefully was emphasizing how important it was that people dipped into their pockets and gave Live Aid money. Now, God doesn't need our money. Okay? We can't contribute anything to God. He owns the cattle um, you know, on a thousand hills. He, he is, he's a God with abundant possessions. And one of the saddest things is sometimes when you go past churches and you see those thermometers on the side, don't you, for the roof fund. And it, you know, Does that give an impression that our God is a generous God? or It, it kind of looks like an impoverished you know, church that is trying to scrimp off the people around them. And actually, it honors God when we serve him with our money. Phil Moore says this, God is in in need of our handouts. 
He wants us to give him our possessions because he knows that it will do us good. But why do some Christians not give? And I want to challenge us all this morning. How are we giving to God? I think sometimes we as Christians can see our money as all ours. I think sometimes some Christians don't give because they've just not been taught. And we've actually not talked on money as a church for a while, so actually this is quite a good opportunity just to think about how we honour God with our possessions. Tithing doesn't come naturally to any of us. All of us need encouragement to give. None of us is by nature a giver. In fact, we look for every possible loophole by which we can justify not giving. In fact, I know that as soon as someone blesses me with money... I've already got a way to, in fact, I've got a list on my phone of things that I want to spend my money on already. It's burning a hole in my pocket. My first, my first thought isn't, oh, how can we bless someone else? Actually, Kate is far more the kind of the Christ-hearted uh, member of our relationship because Kate will often go, oh, how can we bless someone with that? Whereas I'll be like, I need new tires for my bike. Um, so I, I'm sorry, this is just my confession, but I am not by nature a giver. And actually, it's something that I know that God wants me to grow in. Some Christians, I think, don't, don't give because they see the tithing as being in a specific place in the Bible. It's, oh, it's, it's, under, it's in the Old Covenant, so it doesn't really apply to us. You might use the verse from Romans, oh, we're, we're, we're not under law, but we're under, under grace. I wonder if people sort of think, does that honour God by, by not giving then? It's a heart thing though, isn't it? It's not a law thing. Tithing was so deeply embedded in the Jewish conscience that lots of commenters kept commentators say it actually didn't it needed virtually no mention in the new testament tithing was an assumption in israel when jesus came on the scene there's a passage in luke where jesus is facing up to the scribes and the pharisees who because of their nasty heart attitude and their kind of mean religious attitude actually are not demonstrating the generosity of god he says woe to you scribes and pharisees you hypocrites. For you tithe mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But these are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. So it seems like here that Jesus is kind of saying, well, you should have done this without neglecting the latter. Jesus took care to endorse that giving providing that it was done in the context of justice, mercy, and faith was the right thing to do. Paying that tithe on dill and mint and cumin on their spices gave the Pharisees a bit of a self-righteous feel. Oh, well, it's all right, we're giving 10% of everything, so we're okay. But actually, their heart within that wasn't right. R.T. Kendall says this, If tithing was a part of the law that would or could be dropped under the new covenant... This is, our, this is the place our Lord would have done it, and he did not. Jesus made no idle comments. His approval and exhortation to us to give needs to be the motivation for us. We want to do what God's heart is. God's heart is to bless. God's heart is to give. Some Christians maybe don't give because they say, well, the bar's higher now. So under Jesus, the bar's the bar's higher. And Steve mentioned this with, with divorce, didn't he? You sort of think about Jesus teaching on adultery. The old covenant was, well, don't, don't commit adultery. Actually, Jesus raised that bar higher, didn't he? Do not even look at someone lustfully. And we can do that with our money, can't we? Go, well, the Old Testament was 10%. So we, you know, I, I'm, I'm only going to give when I, you know, when I feel that God's telling me to do that. Um, I, I suppose I challenge people who are thinking that. So are you giving 
are you even giving them 10% in that? Or so where, you know, or are you feeling that challenge um, in, in, within that? I, I was listening to Guy Miller, who was preaching at West Point, and he was saying that he gets challenged every year to give more each year, not because it makes him feel good about himself, but he knows that having that challenge to himself, from, am I giving till I feel that, you know, that, that pinch, that's a good thing for my heart. Jesus never told us not to tithe, but rather he put his emphasis on the attitude in which we should give. We are saved utterly and wholly by the grace of God. So if we give money, that doesn't make us a better Christian. So please don't hear me wrong this morning. I'm not saying that if you give money, you'll be a great Christian, or you'll be closer to getting to heaven, or it will make you more holy. Okay, we, we give because we want to show that heart of gratitude back to the Lord. And in fact, our giving is a way of showing God that we care. And God dignifies us by being concerned by how we live for him and what we do with our money. Let's see it like this. We don't have to tithe, but we get to tithe. It's like I say to our young people in youth. We don't have to read our Bible, but we get to read our Bible. We don't have to pray, but we get to pray to a living God that hears us. So let's see our, the use of our money in the same way. Have we got to give? Well, we haven't got to give, but we get to give. We get to you. Give our money to the Lord, and he, he will then multiply it and use that in amazing ways. So, I'm going to just go back to the Foundations book just for a few, a few bits about giving, just to look a little bit more closely at that. So, John's book. So, first thing, where do we give? So, biblical giving is directed in two main ways. Firstly, to those serving God and benefiting the church spiritually, and then also to relieve needs within the commun- Christian community. And there are instances really early on in, in the book of Acts where people sell, sell the money for a field and they lay it at the apostles' feet and say, here you are, use this, use this for the Lord. In the New Testament, from the very start, Christians are using their money to bless the church and to give to God. In the Old Testament... The tithes were used, as I've said earlier, for the Levites and for the priests' work. And Malachi uses the term the storehouse in this passage. He says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. So in a way, the the local church where you go and get fed and nurtured spiritually, that is the storehouse where we should be giving our money to. In Leviticus, it says this, All the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. So, how much do we give? Let's go on to the next bit. Well, this is entirely up to you, says John Groves in his Foundations book. You don't have to give anything. Your salvation is free and all of God's grace. So your giving must be a free will offering to God. However, our giving must be planned and proportional to our income. It's a really helpful thing to think ahead about how you're going to give rather than kind of at the end of the month, oh, how much money have I got left? Okay, I'll just give that. I find it far more helpful at the start of the month to give a proportion of my income before tax and before the debt on the car and before... Because actually the worries of the world can actually steal from that, can't they? We, we, we know our car's got to go in for its MOT soon. I'm sure it's going to cost quite a lot of money because we're, we're on sort of 214,000 miles now. It's kind of this old Volvo is going well. However, we know our next bill is going to be big. However, I'm not going to go, well, I'll wait and see how much money I could, I've got left to give to God after I've paid for the MOT. No, actually, God wants that first fruits. He wants us in faith to say, Lord, 
here's, here's my money, I'm going to w- worship you and give you that first, and then I'm going to trust that my God shall supply all my needs. So let's, oh, and I just want to read that verse because it's really good. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. I remember when I worked my first job as a young Christian, I got paid weekly. So actually, it was out of my weekly money that I took that money for God. Some of you get paid monthly. Some of you who own your own businesses, it's probably a bit harder, but, and I wouldn't know about that. But there are lots of lovely accountants in the church who would love to give you financial advice on that. So do talk to people um, <laughs> who know more about money than I do. And thirdly, how should we give? Well, generously, freely, cheerfully, and expectantly. In Corinthians, it says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion or feeling guilty from what Jim has said. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. So what emotions do you feel when you give your money? When I think about giving cheerfully, I think about times at New Day where our young people have kind of hung on to money and not spent it on milkshakes to be able, at the end of the week, be giving that money into the offering. I remember times at West Point where we've, you know... It seems ridiculous, people dancing up to the offering bucket and and giving money, going, Lord, this is yours, I want to bless you with this. I remember gift days here as a church where actually, you know, I remember 800,000 in one hit to to buy the building down here. Just, you know, God graciously, just in amazing ways, just multiplied the money that was offered. I don't know whether God, I I don't know how it works, I really don't. But in fact, actually, hands up here, who who has known the provision of God, the financial miraculous provision of God? I'm not going to ask you to, to, to tell us, but put your hand up if you've known God's provision financially in amazing ways. Okay, look across that, okay? People have known... Okay, and keep your hands up if actually at the time um, you, you were giving money and it really hurt to kind of keep giving, but actually God still blessed you. Look at that. Fantastic. God is good. God is good. And we're going to look at, in a minute at proving God. So, the last bit the blessing. Test me. Do you know what? This is one of the only parts of Scripture where God actually calls us to prove him, to test him. This is something quite exciting, and I really hope this morning, as, as we just look at this, we get hold of this, because this is really exciting. Our God's a generous God. So when I first looked at this, I thought, well, actually, in Scripture, in other places, I was reminded of when Jesus talks with the devil, actually, Jesus says, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So I was thinking, well, hold on, that, that doesn't quite sound right then. If God's saying, test me in this, and then... But actually, I think it's, it's the nature of what that looks like. The Lord hates it when we kind of like test him in the sense of demanding proof before believing what he says. Okay, that's a different kind of testing. But actually, he loves it when we test him in the sense of proving his character by gambling everything on his promises. Okay, and that's a different kind of test. We're saying, Lord, I'm all in. Okay, you think about the, the early believers. They said, Lord, where else can we go but, but to follow you? They'd thrown their whole lot in with Jesus. They were like, there's no, you know, there's no insurance plan behind. I'm, I'm, I'm running after you, Lord. I've left my fishing business. I'm running after you. So God loves it when we gamble everything on him. It's the only part of Scripture where we're really asked to prove God. 
Um, the Bible itself no, it makes no attempt to prove God. If you think back in Genesis, it just says, in the beginning, God. So it's not proving, is, is, God, you know, is God there or not? But actually, God comes through for us when we stake everything on him. There's a real blessing in being generous too. In fact, when we give to God what's rightfully his, I would say that Kate and I have found that the, what we've got left amazingly ends up going further than what we had in the first place. We're running a car that is just miraculously going on and on at the moment. And, you know, I, each time we pass brand new cars broken down by the side of the road, we, all we can do is thank God that in amazing ways he's keeping that going because we've not got enough money for another car. And, and he, but God is just being so gracious to us, it's, which is amazing. So, um, you know, there are lots of people here that can testify to the miraculous provision of God. Um, um, but it's, I think it's more than a spiritual blessing. So God says this, and see, test me in this, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. I mean, that's, how exciting is that? If I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I mean, that is, come on, God, yeah, okay, I, I want to see that, I want to see that. Um, but I believe that's more than a spiritual blessing. R.T. Kendall says this, there's a clear indication of prosperity, not merely at a spiritual level, but at a material level. There can be no doubt that Malachi encourages us to believe that if we truly give to God what is his by honoring him with our substance, he will in turn do things for us that can be visibly seen and felt at a material level. And there are some great scriptures here which John draws our attention to in foundations. You might want to take a a photo of this. or um, There's some real kind of promises in Scripture that actually God will provide for all our needs in these areas. Okay, we've got, you know, from Proverbs, Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. In Matthew, the passage about not worrying about, because God provides for the birds, Jesus says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you as well. We've sung that this morning, haven't we? Isn't it great how God links all this stuff together? 2 Corinthians, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And in Philippians, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. There's no automatic or mechanical kind of bestowing of benefits. So please don't hear me wrong. I'm not into prosperity teaching. I'm not going to say if you give £100, then you will get £200 back. And actually we follow, um, you know, when we read God's word, we look at Paul. You know, Paul said, I know what it was like to be in hardship and, and, and not to be in want. So actually, you know, Paul had seasons of, of really being in need. So please don't, don't think that I'm saying if you start giving, everything, you know, it's an unconditional promise that everything, but I, I would say it is as close to an, an amazing kind of guarantee as that. Wayne Greedham says this, but if, if giving is done in faith, out of commitment to Christ and love for his people, then certainly there will be great blessing in it. Rather than seeing giving as an unpleasant obligation, we would do well to view it as a rich means of grace within the church and to expect that through it, the Holy Spirit will bring blessing. So, just to finish, I just want us to reflect on how, we, how we're doing, how we use our money, what God wants us to be doing. Are we sowing that money into God's kingdom? Are we working hand in hand with Christ in seeing him and the the kingdom extended? Kyle Eidelman says this, giving money away breaks its power. It's like you're saying to money, I don't even care about you. 
You're so unimportant to me, then I can just give you away. The idol of money can't stand not being important. If you want to find out how important money really is to you, start giving it away. Just as I was finishing, I was thinking about the England cricketer C.T. Studd. Um, C.T. Studd was kind of the equivalent of a kind of sports personality of the year in his time. He was um, part of the cricket, uh, the cricket match against Australia that gave birth to the Ashes series. Um, and, and he was wealthy and famous beyond compare. Yet, actually, he gave it all away. He gave his life to following Jesus, went off to China to be a missionary, um, went off with five quid in his pocket. Um, and he said this at the time. Either I had to be a thief and keep what wasn't mine, or else I had to give up everything to God. When I came to see that Jesus Christ had died for me, it didn't seem hard to give it all up for him. So, let's just finish with that reminder that we serve a generous God. We serve a God who did not withhold his one and only son, but he gave his one and only son to die on the cross on our behalf to pay the punishment that we deserved, to pay the price that was on our heads, that we may know that restored relationship with our generous and gracious God. If the worship band can come up. Just going to put some questions up. Just to, just so I'd like you to think, just think through, through these things whilst we, just, just before we respond with singing. Because I'd like us to all respond in one way or another. And God might have been speaking to you this morning, reassuring you, kind of going, yeah, well done. Thank you for honouring me. Keep going. If you don't know God, he might actually be saying this morning, do you, do you see me as a, that stingy old man in the sky with a beard? Or do you actually know me as your generous and gracious father? So how do you view God this morning? Is he generous? Or is he stingy? How do you view your money? Do you consider your money to be all yours? To do with what you like? Or is it seeds that can be sown into the kingdom of God? This morning you might be challenged, actually you need to start giving. And actually on your way out this morning, do see Pam on the front desk. And she she can help you with how you kind of start that process. If you're a member here, you might want to start a standing order. Are you plugged into church? Do you see this as the storehouse where you get nurtured and spiritually fed? If you're a student here, please enjoy being with us for the years that you're here in Winchester. I, I stayed. Many of you might stay. Actually, if you'll get plugged into this local church. Are you giving cheerfully and intentionally? And lastly, will you test the Lord? It might be this morning, there are some of you here who've got financial needs, real financial needs. You might be going, actually, Jim, it's all very well you're saying that, but I really don't know where the rent will come from next month. Or I really don't know what I'm going to do about this debt. Actually, God calls us this morning, if we are faithful with what we have got, if we seek first the kingdom of God, then all these other things will be added to that. This morning, you might want to come up for some prayer later on and to pray with someone about that. And let's, let's as a people, prove God that he will come through. Let's stand and worship him.